Welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 70. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm talking about the guru mind. Uh, that is to say, the mind that seeks a guru. A quick note before jumping into this topic. If you're listening to this podcast, it's probably safe for me to assume that you are also interested in the essential concepts of Buddhism and how they relate to your daily life. One of the goals of the podcast is to take Buddhist concepts and teachings and then explain them in a way that's easy to understand and practical for everyday life. In addition to the podcast, I've also written a book to help with this process. And with the book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, you'll gain a fundamental understanding of Buddhism and how to apply the philosophies in your everyday life. And the book consists of a simple four-part structure addressing the different aspects of Buddhism, the Buddha, key Buddhist concepts, the Buddha's teachings, and current Buddhist practices. It's written in a straightforward questions and answers format that simplifies the vital concepts of Buddhism into e easy to understand ideas. It also includes what I call everyday Buddhism sidebars. Uh, these are little anecdotes that make Buddhism a little uh, less abstract by offering down-to-earth examples from my own everyday life. Presented in a simple conversational style, the information and guidance in No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners provides the groundwork that is necessary for building or continuing your own Buddhist practice. You can learn more about the book by visiting everydaybuddhism.com. A secondary note that I haven't mentioned in a while is um, the quote, remember the Dalai Lama's advice, do not use what you learned from Buddhism to be a Buddhist, use it to be a better whatever you already are. And I want to emphasize this, the world doesn't need more Buddhists. The world just needs more people who are awake and aware of things, uh, people who are striving to have more understanding, people who who want to strive to make the world a better place by being more conscious, more kind, more compassionate, more willing to listen and see more deeply, and ultimately to see the impermanent and interdependent nature of all things. We're all in the same boat here, you know, the boat planet Earth. And given that today is Earth Day, and I'm recording this on Earth Day, um, I wish we could see ourselves as just Earthlings and not be so divided by our isms. You know, I'm reminded of a quote by Dr. Mark Epstein, who uh, he asked, what, what is the difference between a Buddhist and a non-Buddhist? And then he goes on to answer, the non-Buddhist thinks there's a difference. And unfortunately, I know a lot of Buddhists or practitioners of Buddhism who don't quite understand what this means. In a way, this is implying that even if you see yourself as a Buddhist, you still don't get it because you see yourself as se separate from being a non-Buddhist. Um, it's just a, a fun thing to consider today. What are the labels that separate me from others? What are your isms? Uh, and again, this isn't to say that we need to get rid of all of our isms. I don't know that that's possible, but the attachment that we have to them. I, I like to view Buddhism as something that I practice. It's something that I teach. It's something that I really enjoy, but it's not something that I am because I'm just me. And while today I follow this path, you know, five years ago, I didn't. Ten years ago, I had no clue what any of this stuff, any of these topics were, and I would have identified as something else. Um, 
So whatever the ism is, um, hold, hold loosely to it, hold it, but hold it without the death grip. <laughs> um, so enough about labels. The topic I've prepared for today is called beware of the guru mind. And what I'm trying to get at with this topic, all of this started because uh, there was a lot of hoopla about a show that came out on Netflix called Wild Country. And it's um, the story of the Rajneeshis, uh, a group that came from India with following their leader Osho, now known as Osho. Uh, at the time, his name was, uh, I think, Rajneesh. Um, but anyway, it, it's a group of kind of... Uh, I don't know if Buddhist is the right word. They they were they followed a lot of tenets of various religions. Um, a lot of people would say they were a cult. Um, but at the end of the day, what happened is you had an influx of a specific group into a small community, and it really disrupts the community. And this documentary paints the picture of on both sides what was happening to the small community. Um, that was being absorbed by this larger group, an influx of people who believe very differently than you. And I can see, I can see this, um, you know, playing out how difficult it would be because I do, I live in a small community, a very small community. And we, we deal with, uh, the influx of, um, people coming in from the city and building developments and homes. And I hear people in the town that, are frustrated with that. Their way of life is changing because of this influx of people moving in. Uh, this also resonated with me, um, with my um, past being raised Mormon. There's a there's a story in the uh, with the Mormon community um, that w when Mormonism was was growing and spreading, they were running into this problem. They were like the Rajneeshis. They they were moving into communities and then overtaking these communities because of their uh, population growth and the community would would resent them and then want to kick them out so they're always battling um, this process of infiltrating communities until they finally headed west you know the big uh, pioneer trek that they headed west and found uh, they found their they established themselves in Utah um, and then ironically now uh, here where they uh, where the Mor the Mormon church has a, a strong population, there's also this same resentment of outside influence coming in. And if the population gets too big, then though the ideas of the non-Mormons overtake the ideas of the Mormons, and then there's this, uh, this, this same feeling of, oh no, let's not change things. It's just kind of funny. Anyway, that uh, all of this resonated with me as I was listening, watching this documentary on Netflix, but it really got me thinking about the concept of a guru in general. So I wanted to address this on a couple of different levels. Um, first of all, what is a guru? Uh, it's, it's a Sanskrit term, and it connotes someone who is a teacher, a guide, an expert, or a master of uh, a certain uh, field of knowledge. So, um, you know, the word guru has all these connotations. Let's just replace it with the word teacher, and then some of these things might make a little bit more sense. You know, first of all, is it bad to have a teacher? Uh, is it bad to have a guru? See, if I if I say the word guru, is it bad to have a guru? Some people are probably thinking, uh oh, this is cult-like language. I don't need a guru, right? But let's replace that with teacher for a moment. Is it bad to have a teacher? No, absolutely not. Um, I want to give you an example of this. So. Some of you know, one of my favorite pastimes, one of my hobbies is 
um, paragliding and paramotoring, specifically paramotoring. Paramotoring is paragliding, but with a motor on your back, a propeller on your back that pushes you through the air. And the difference is uh, paragliding, you have to go to the top of a mountain, a big hill, and you start up there and then you float your way down unless you can ride thermals and stay up. If you go with a motor on your back, you don't need to start up high. You can just find a field, a parking lot, take off from there, and you, you're powering yourself. So um, that's one of the main differences between paramotoring and paragliding. And I, I, I do much more paramotoring than I do paragliding. But when you're learning to paramotor, you, if, you're, if you want to go about it safely, you're going to find a teacher, somebody to teach you how to do this. And one of the first things that they do in the process of learning to paraglide or paramotor, um, at least with my teacher, what he did is he, he'll connect you with a line to uh, like a winch, a pulley winch system that tows you. So you'll, you know, they'll set this up maybe, I don't know, 500 feet away from you or a thousand feet away from you. I don't know how far, I don't remember, but you've got this line tied to your harness and then there's the parachute the wing actually because it's not quite a parachute it's a wing and it's a wing in the sense that if it has enough speed it will develop lift so you can fly with it a parachute is intended to control the fall a wing is intended to actually fly so you've got this wing behind you that looks like a parachute and then this tow line starts to pull you and as it pulls you you start running the wing inflates behind you it comes up over your head and the faster you go you start to gain lift so now you've got this rope that's pulling you you've got the parachute uh, looking wing I'm just gonna say wing from now on the wing over your head and it's lifting you up in the sky and for all intents and purposes you look you're, you're essentially a kite you look like a kite you're being pulled and you're flying because there's tension on this rope that's pulling you so that forward motion gives you lift and there you fly and then at some point you cut the tow line you cut that you have a little pin there on your harness it's like you pull that lever or you push the button depending on the setup the line cuts from you and now you're just soaring and you're soaring on the way down so you come down and that's how you practice right you have a big field it tows you up you get the feeling of what that's like to fly and then you cut that line and then you soar down and then you land and you practice this over and over and over and what you're trying to get used to is the feeling of running and inflating the wing behind you to the point where it's over your head gaining enough speed and then you take off so in this process of learning applying this to the idea of a guru or a teacher um, it was uh, absolutely important for me to have a teacher who understood the dynamics of, of where I am with my skill level and at what point is it safe to say you no longer need that tow line. Now you you know, put the, the motor on your back and power yourself. Um, that's what I, I want to draw this correlation with this because it takes skill on the part of both the teacher and also the student. When the student feels ready, the student can say, I'm not sure I need this tow line anymore. Let's go strap the motor on my back. And the teacher needs to have the skill to say, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're ready to try this. Or no, let's tow you a couple more times because I've been noticing, you know, you're pulling really strong on this line or you're doing this or that, that, that could be dangerous. You could get yourself into trouble. At some point in this process, if both parties realize the time has come, then you detach from the tow line, you put the, the motor on your back, 
and you're liberated. You are in a very literal way. You're liberated. You're free to go fly. You go fly and you explore on your on your own. And and I think that's one of the greatest accomplishments for the teacher at that moment is now the teacher says, let's go fly. Let's go explore. Let's go up that mountain. Let's fly around this lake. Uh, some of the most enjoyable aspects of flying for me have been in the companionship of, of my former instructor as a friend. Now we're co-exploring. You know, we go explore and fly or whatever it is, but there's complete liberation now. There may still be some guidance in, uh, in those first months and years where it's like, hey, you've gotten really good, but I notice you have this tendency or that tendency. But at some point, um, you become equals. You're just, you both are just pilots and you fly. And I've thought about this with, in, in the spiritual sense, like with Buddhism, for example, that's very much how it should be. The job of the teacher is to know when to cut the toe line, liberating the student. Um, and I like the analogy of, of, of going from kite to, to bird, because I've, I've heard it said before that, um, Sometimes the guru, the guru can be a person, the guru can be a system, it can be an ism, right? It could be your belief system, it could be, it could be a lot of things. But when we, when we create a dependency on it, that toe line, so to speak, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, just imagine this as a visual, you know, there's nothing more sad than taking a kite that's flying perfectly and then cutting that rope. Because the moment you cut that rope, what happens to the poor kite? It flips and flops and comes down and lands and crashes and it's no longer flying, right? It's detrimental to the kite to not have that line. But it's also detrimental to a bird to have the line. Let's say you have a bird now and it's up there soaring. There's nothing more sad than the picture of, of a bird with a string tied to it and it can't escape you know, the distance of that string. And some would say, uh, I've heard it said before, hey, your religion, your belief system, it's like this tow line and you are the kite. And this, this is what allows you to fly and gain um, altitude and to soar there in the wind. But the moment that you detach yourself from your religion, you're going to come crashing. And it's like, okay, that's, that's a good analogy in a sense. But the false assumption for me, in my personal opinion, is... Uh, this takes some skill and knowing, am I a kite or am I a bird? Am I, you know, was I a kite that just figured out, oh my gosh, I have wings and they flap. Okay, now I'm a bird. Now I don't need that line. Or the, the flip side, right? Maybe it's thinking I'm a bird and realizing I just keep coming crashing down. Maybe I'm not a bird. I'm more of a kite. Oh, I better find the right tow line that keeps me in the wind and keeps me, you know, soaring. It's not to say that you need to be one or the other. It's, it's more along the lines of figuring out which one are you. Because if you're a kite, you may want a tow line. You may need that rope. If you're not, uh, then you, you may not need the tow line. And I encounter this all the time because I think sometimes there's this assumption that um, the concepts that I'm teaching with Buddhism, especially secular Buddhism, are an, an indication that the right direction is to go from kite to bird. And I don't think that that's true. Uh, if we're being completely honest, we all know that some people are kites. They need the line. They need the, the rope that helps them know what to do, what not to do, who to be like, who not to be like. And some people are birds and, and the tow line becomes a hindrance. 
And treating everybody like birds is wrong and treating everybody like kites is also wrong. So I want to clarify that, you know, for me growing up, um, I had a tow line, a, a very efficient tow line, a, a belief system that was rigid. It, it helped me to know, go this way, don't go that way, do this, don't do that. And I think perhaps one of the most important aspects is it gave me a model to follow. You know, anyone who is raised Christian knows the expression, what would Jesus do? Um, and for most intents and purposes, that's a safe bet, right? That's a good example of, of what you should or shouldn't do that's going to minimize suffering for yourself and others. But, but it's not always the case. And, and for me, this is why. Because the truth of the question, what would Jesus do? Or, or, or apply this to Buddhism or any, any other system, right? What would the Buddha do? Is that the answer to that question is, I don't know. That, that's the true answer. The, but the answer that most of us get, we're getting from a guru, right? The guru who says, well, I'll tell you what he would do. This is what he would do. So when I'm answering the question, what would the Buddha do? Really, I'm inserting the answer of what you say, uh, what you're telling me that the Buddha would do, whoever my guru is, right? Whoever your teacher is, your priest, your your prophet, your um, your Zen master, whatever, whoever your guru is, that's that's the real answer to the question. What would so-and-so do? What so-and-so tells me so-and-so would do? That's that's the truth, right? Because the real answer, what would so-and-so do? I don't know. I didn't know so-and-so. I don't I don't live in that time. Um, so for me, this, this becomes a really important thing um, when it comes to introspection. I want to know what would I do? What would I do and why would I do it? Why would I do it? Why would I not do it? Buddhism is an invitation to look inward. It's an invitation to uh, discover for yourself um, that you are the greatest guru, right? This is something that I um, I really enjoy about uh, Buddhist concepts and Buddhist teachings. When you study the life of the Buddha, and I've alluded to this before in the podcast, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense to bring this up in this specific episode, in this specific context. It, the journey of the Buddha as um, just a, a seeker, let's call him that, Siddhartha Gautama, the seeker, he was seeking wisdom and advice, and he was like um, the kite with a string. He, he went from one guru, one teacher, to another, and then to another. But what was happening in this process is he was realizing this can only get me so far. You know, having this line can only get me so high. It can only get me uh, to the certain place and that wasn't enough. He wanted to understand things, to see the world differently. I imagine, uh, going back to my analogy as a as a student learning to paraglide, that you know the truth is that the tow rope phase of learning is a lot of fun. It's like wow, I'm getting towed up in the air, and I can look around, and then and then I come down, and I do it again and again and again. But at some point up there, you may look around and say. Hey, this is all great, but I want to see what's over that next hill. I want to see what's up higher. I want to follow that river, you know. And in the moment I decide that's me, the 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 curious me that wants to see more, now this very line uh, becomes my my hindrance. It's like, oh well, now this is the thing that's in the way. Um, and I think this is what was happening for Siddhartha. He 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 would learn what he could, and then that was it. He, he needed to find more. So his process, his um, spiritual path takes him on this journey to the point where he finally cuts that line. 
this is, in my opinion, this is the uh, the understanding of of the his moment of liberation. He was that paraglider pilot who said, "Okay, let's cut the line, turn on the engine, and here I go. I've actually got my own propeller now, and it's going to propel me from here." That was really the key of his transformation was his his liberation. That's why we call it liberation. Um, so from that moment on, he realizes several key things, right? First is, oh my gosh, I am the source of all of it. Uh, the good deeds that make me want to be kind and compassionate, that's me. That's my own mind. Um, the, the thoughts that make me feel... Uh, anger or hatred or wanting to hurt someone well that's also me it's not some external agent acting upon me it's uh, internal processes that that are steering me to do and feel certain things you know I, I just imagine the the feeling of, of of anger and then realizing oh my gosh this anger is fueled by fear that, that's a that's a radical uh, realization that you can have about yourself what what am I feeling? What do I say? What do I think? What do I do? And where and why? And that leads back to further insight. Oh, this is why I think what I think. This is why I say what I say. I imagine that's what that moment was like for him. The moment of, of liberation was this radical realization that he was the source of it all. This is what uh, Buddhist teachings have been for me in my own life. This radical uh, transformation of realizing, oh my gosh, I am at the helm here. It's my own mind. And often the detrimental things that I would say or do, um, they, they stem from my own mind. And the more I've learned to understand myself, the more I've learned to minimize that self-inflicted suffering and the suffering that often carries over to other people. And this has been a profound change for me in my own relationship with my wife, my and the, my dynamic as a parent with kids. Um, that's, that's what this has all been for me. Um, so the invitation of this, uh, of this episode is to look at what are the toe lines. What are, what are the lines that I'm attached to? Again, not from the perspective of, I need to get rid of all my toe lines. That's not what it is. Um, Buddhism itself is a toe line. If, if you'll recall in the parable of the raft, I think this is to me one of the most profound teachings that the Buddha gave. He invited his monks towards the end of his life to understand that Buddhism itself is the raft, right? You're, if, you're, if you're on one side of the shore and you're trying to get to the other side of the shore, he asks them, if, you, if there's no other way to do it and you spend all that time and energy to build a raft, once you get to the other side, what is the wise thing to do? Keep the raft or, or leave it behind? And I think anybody would have answered the same. It's like, well, common sense tells me I should leave it behind. If I need another one, I'll build another one. But for now, I'm headed up that mountain. This is a big, heavy raft. I don't need it, right? And then, uh, shockingly, that's that's what he tells them. Essentially, it's like these teachings, the Dharma, that's the raft. And you can make the raft your obstacle. And I think this carries over in our day. It's like saying, hey, Buddhism teaches all these incredible things, but be careful because Buddhism can also be the obstacle it can be the very raft the thing you attach to and and now that's the thing that you carry around so when i'm thinking of these toe lines what are the the toe lines that i have again it's not from the perspective of i need to cut everything off everywhere you know drop all my isms leave my religion do don't be drastic 
It's look at everything. Look at your life from the perspective of, is this a skillful line? Yes. Well, then then stay on it. Is this is it skillful to cut it? Maybe. Or, or yes. Okay, well, then cut it. The answer may be no. Nobody can answer that for you. That's the thing here, right? The, the guru... At the end of the day, at the end of the day, the guru can give you advice, but like when you're, if you're, if you were to ever take lessons paramotoring, that line that's up on your harness, it's you that hits the button and detaches from the line. It can be done down at the bottom, but then the line dangles, right? That's for safety purposes. They do that. But what I'm trying to get at is it working with a teacher, um, can be very powerful. But if that teacher sets you up in a position to where you become dependent on him or her, then now it's detrimental. Maybe you won't know, maybe it won't be, but at some point it will be because the nature of, of, of this path of Buddhism is a path of liberation. So if you find a teacher on this path, a guru, uh, I like, I like the word teacher better, but just somebody who guides you and their intent to say, now you need to depend on me because I am the source of interpreting all this stuff for you. Then beware. And when I say beware, I, I, I truly want to make this pointed towards yourself, right? It's not beware of that teacher. It's beware of yourself thinking, do I really need this? Do I need a teacher? Um, you know, the, I, I think I mentioned it before, but the, um, um, the invitation here that to be aware of the guru mind, it's an invitation to look inwards. The one who is the one looking for the guru. I'm less concerned about the guru than I am about the me that thinks I need the guru. Who's that? You know, who's the one looking for the guru? Um, Buddhism always tries to point things back towards you. At some point, Siddhartha's quest, he was confronted with this very question. Who's the one looking for the guru? He found that one. And when he found the one looking for the guru, he didn't need the guru. He, he became his own guru, uh, his own teacher. And I, I cannot stress this enough. This is, um, one of the potential, um, uh, uh, consequences of studying this stuff is you'll discover that you are your greatest enemy and your, your own best friend. It's you. That's the moment of liberation. Um, so that was the topic I wanted to share today. Beware of the guru mind, the mind that seeks the guru. And again, I'm not alluding to gurus are bad. Teachers are bad. Um, isms are all bad. Whatever your religious system is, it's bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a careful balance between that realization of I am a kite and I need this line and I am a bird and this line is hindering me. Um, and extending the same wisdom to, to your, uh, family and friends, right? I, I see this all the time in the world where I am, the, the community where I live, people will leave a religion and then say, you need to leave it too. Or people will, who are in the religion will talk to someone who's left the religion and say, you need to be in it. And what you've got is kites talking to birds and birds talking to kites. And it's, it's not helping. It's not going to do anything this is not about deciding what's best for you. It's about me as the student saying what I'm learning here. I still need this tow rope and, and, and maybe I always will. I don't care to see what's on the other, other side of that hill. I don't want to follow this river. I just want to be towed here and soar in the air. And I love this tow line. It that's, that's a legitimate, uh, place to be. 
but it's also legitimate for the the one with the personality to explore it. It says, well, this tow rope, I don't like it. I want to be cut loose and I want to fly a little bit and see what's over there. You may fly over there and decide, you know what? I don't like this exploring stuff. This is kind of scary. I'm going to come back and let's just attach to that tow line and I'll stay here and soar like a kite. That could happen. Um, there's not a right or a wrong way to be. There's um, a skillful and a non-skillful way to be. And, and the only way to know which way is skillful for you is to have a greater understanding of yourself. Again, this is the quest. Who is the one seeking the guru? Uh, that's who you should be seeking, the one that's doing the seeking, because that points everything back to you. Um, so that's the topic I had prepared for today. Hopefully some of that makes sense. Um, I know sometimes these concepts get a little, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but they can be hard to understand because what people will listen and say, well, I just, I just want to know, do I do this or do I do that? Do I follow someone? Do I not follow someone? Should I believe? Should I not believe? Uh, should I have a teacher? Should I not have a teacher? And there's, there's not an answer to any of those questions. Um, again, point it inwards. Who's the one who's looking? Seek the one who's seeking. There you will find all of the insight you're looking for. When you, when you discover, when you, when you seek the one that's seeking, you look inward. That's my invitation for today. Uh, following up my invitation being Earth Day, try to see yourself for a little bit as just an earthling. Uh, you and every other creature on this planet, we share that in common. This is our home. This is our, our pale blue dot, um, as Carl Sagan would say. Um, this is our home. What can we do to be more skillful in how we deal with each other, with our ideologies, our beliefs, our opinions, our political views, whatever it is, the end of the day we're just earthlings and we're all here we're all trying to figure it out um, and we're all just trying to make this work how can i be more skillful in that process from my little corner of the world uh, that's my invitation to you and that's the topic i have for today um, if you enjoyed this podcast episode please feel free to share it with others you can always write a review give it a rating in itunes um, and if you'd like to join our online community, you can visit secularbuddhism.com forward slash community. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, please visit secularbuddhism.com and click on the donate button. And that is all I have for now. But I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Thank you. Until next time.